think I've got that. That's right. you. I think you hit that right on the head. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I made some notes. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 101 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host Ian Truscott and this weekly podcast that is my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career from techie to CMO and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way. Come say hello, we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and a proud member of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was recorded on Friday the 11th of February. I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week we continue my interview with Jeff Clark. I get to dig into influencer marketing with fellow NPN podcaster Gordon Glenister and we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. For this word, we'll be right back. For this word. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, on to our first segment. If you're a regular listener, you'll be familiar with the wise words of Jeff Clark, former research director at Serious Decisions Forrester and principal strategic advisory here at Rockstar CMO, as we regularly chew the fat on various marketing topics. To celebrate episode 100 last week, I thought it was time we shared a bit more about where this wisdom came from, get the insider tips from his industry career and through his time advising an amazing roster of clients and share with you a bit about the Jeff Clark I know. Of course, we went too long, so we decided to split the conversation into two. Last week, we covered his early career and tips from his time at various well-known B2B technology vendors, and we rejoin as we dig into his experience as an analyst. As we didn't plan to split the interview, you'll have to bear with my edit as we jump straight back in. usually was one of the (laughs) the key sources from problems because people with an older vision or a different vision still existed and um, yeah couldn't get aligned yeah yeah it's back to the point you were making just now about your your experience actually being in-house wasn't it about about your quote there good plan well executed is better than a perfect plan poorly executed i think i've got that right you i think you hit that right on the head (laughs) (laughs) it's like i made some notes (laughs) so um so so it's i mean the primary thing you saw then as an advisor for these organizations was about having that agreed plan execution rather than 
like coming at this thing from different directions and, and, and getting that structure together. And did you see like real differences when you started to get organizations aligned that, oh, you know, that must absolutely. be very satisfying. Absolutely. I mean, there was, yeah. um, it, you know, and, and there were a couple of companies that, that, um, I mean, I was involved in sort of like helping them tell their story and I was loosely yeah. involved in the actual advisory part because, yeah. you know, we, and one of the great things about the model we had was that, you know, different advisors could come in and, you know, take one, oh, yeah, one, yeah. one problem and have different people come in and talk about it. But yeah. yeah, there were, you know, particularly from the focus on, on aligning around campaign strategies. I mean, you would see companies where, you know, engagement, uh, I mean, you, all the stats would just go up. Yeah. We're getting better engagement. We're doing, yeah. you know, one of the keys is we're doing less tactical work and getting yeah. better results. Yeah. Uh, and and then, you know, when sales and marketing are kind of aligned along that same go-to-market approach, I mm-hmm. mean, then, then you lose you lose the friction that you would typically get right. from sales and marketing about the people in sales going, I mean, these people are sending all this stuff out and it's nothing, it doesn't mean anything to my yeah. customer. Yeah. Uh, or or the salespeople aren't following up on all of the you know yeah all the activity all the things in. we've heard all the yeah. things you've heard yeah yeah no I agree um what do you and um from so if I if I was um let's imagine I'm a brand new CMO in a B two B organization or a senior leader of uh, a B two B organization which you are but <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to imagine that. <laughs> Well, let's imagine that. And then, um, uh, what what do you think? Yeah, I'm not using this as a free consultancy, <laughs> yeah, honestly, right. Jeff. <laughs> yeah, because you get that before we get on on the call. <laughs> so, um, what's what are what are a few things you think that people should focus on? Marketing team should focus on uh, some of the, some of the key tactics to to. I mean, clearly, you know, planning, strategy, aligning people is a tough job. But what other sort of things do you think we need to be doing? Well, I think that. Um, you know, I mean, to sort of continue a, a, a theme I started with here is yeah. that the the primary and secondary research into understanding the customer. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it can it it for one, it's essential, but you know, it can it can help yeah. for different parts of the marketing team. You know, so like you know, what I mean, win loss analysis. I know you're going to have one of my former colleagues talk about that soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talking a lot to third party analysts. I mean, certainly yeah. when I was. Uh, you know, at one of the software companies, we'd be talking to Forrester and Gardner and, you know, yeah. asking them about what they're hearing, um, doing your own focus groups, doing mm-hmm. brand studies. Right. Um, I was always amazed that, you know, we would do a brand study uh, mm. and we'd, we'd feed the information back to executives and they'd be like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, <laughs> and it's like, well, my gosh, we interviewed like 150 people and got all yeah. this detailed and, and, and they think we, you know, we're good here. We suck here, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. And, it's like, um, and, yeah. uh, and then they, you know, pull out their anecdote that would try to, uh, you know, put a hole in it. Um, yeah. And, but, you know, and, and also doing, um, which I think has been more of a of a trend recently, customer journey analysis. Yeah, you know, yeah. Where where do you touch customers? Who's mm-hmm. touching them between yeah. you know sales support, marketing, yeah. um, and uh, and I think all of those all of those things are just incredibly important. It's almost like you'd say, hey, you know, let's stop doing any marketing for the next mm-hmm. I don't know, two to three months and just like just everybody dives in and does some aspect of of researching um, yeah, and yeah. pulling research together yeah. from various sources and see if we can come up with a picture yeah. of our customers yeah, and how yeah. we should be talking to them. Um, Cause that, yeah. you know, it's like, 
you know, there's the old adage of uh, changing the engines while the plane's in flight. And, yeah. you know, that's hard to do. Um, but uh, but if you ever get that opportunity, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would take advantage I, but, of it. You know, but I also think, um, and that is, you start asking why around the business about what, you know, because you can do that when you're new, right? You can say, well, why, why do you think that? Why is it? And, you, and try and drive and find the data. And if there isn't any, then you quickly run out of whys, don't you? It's just, yeah, oh, yeah. because we do it that way. It's like, okay, right. Okay, so well, there was one company we work with where they, they, did, they did a lot of research and they, they came mm-hmm. up with a list of um, customer needs. Yeah. And they um, and they they ranked them based on what they knew internally they mm-hmm. were good at and what worked with the customer in terms of how to phrase the need, yeah. and 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 they just developed their whole campaign architecture around it. And again, yeah. it's like you could see the stats. It's like absolutely, you know, yeah, 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 absolutely. brings everything together. Absolutely. All right. Well, so um, I'm going to keep on the, the with the questions that I prepared. I didn't realize it was going to take this direction where it was actually a personal um, strategy session, uh, <laughs> <consultant> <laughs> session. Well, the question I wanted to ask you, um, and and I know we both have to be careful with this because we've <laughs> had, we've had, I've, yes, we have had some of our bosses on the show, right? So, um, without naming names, what makes up the qualities of a rockstar yeah. B2B CMO in your experience with some of the is, folks? Is that, that why they won't hire us again? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they came on the show. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's right. Uh, Well, yeah, so, I mean, a couple things certainly come to mind. And um, I think a solid role, understanding of marketing's role within a company, Mm -hmm. which is obviously different from company to company. And if you're in a software versus a electric utility versus a, you know, whatever, it's marketing is going to be different. So kind of understanding what that should be and then also what it is, you know, because, you know, if somebody comes on board and they're doing their 90 day, uh, uh, you know, plan based on the the book, which I can't remember the title of it, but it's like the 90, (laughs) whatever. First 90 days. First 90 days. And, (laughs) um, and, uh, and it's like, you know, you want to talk to people to get an understanding of what they think marketing should Mm -hmm. be. I know, you know, one of Mm -hmm. our previous bosses said, you know, that that was a really eye opener for, for him in terms of understanding what, what was expected as marketing's contribution, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you do also want to understand kind of where where it should be because over yeah. time you want to you want to migrate from perhaps yeah. where it is to, yeah. uh, or, and so I think taking that journey is part of the CMO uh, creating a tight bond with the executive team. I mean, there was yeah. there was one uh, CMO actually I don't think he was a CMO when I was working for him, but he was virtually operating that way. And then he, he had a couple of CMO positions after that. And, and he had a very tight bond with the executive team mm-hmm. as a contributor. I mean, not as yeah. just as I'm the marketing guy on the team, but as contributing, yeah. uh, you know, his analysis. Uh, and uh, and I know that's... what he, you know, when he left, it's like, you know, yeah. it, it was funny because he was not internally was not known as sort of like a great marketing mind, but, mm-hmm. uh, but again, he was able to contribute with mm-hmm. the executive team, understand what, the decided strategy was and then how yeah. we were supposed to execute I, at that on yeah. that. And I've and had so, that. Yeah. Oh, I've had that conversation here with an executive coach about um, CMOs that you can't sit in those meetings just as the most senior marketer. Yeah. Bring your you've got to contribute to the, to the round, to the company yeah. strategy. Right. And yeah, I've, yeah. and I've, I know 
you know, a lot of CMOs go in and it's like, okay, we're going to rebrand. Yeah. We're going to, yeah. you know, we're going to talk about the new us. We're going to blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And it's like, so yeah. often that's like, that's not the problem. Uh, mm. And, and, and so, so yeah, so, so really understanding um, being an active participant in the company strategy. So that's really mm-hmm. what that comes down to. Mm-hmm. And then you got to, you know, motivate your direct reports to think outside their comfort zones because, mm-hmm. you know, typically, you know, direct reports are in functional positions, comms, PR, yeah. you know, d- digital, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And, and it's like they, the leaders in particular all have to be thinking about if we're focused on certain customer sets or partner sets or whatever, mm-hmm. how we're working a- across our, our teams to yeah. affect that as opposed to, you know, working in our silos. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, you, I mean, the last thing is that is really good CMOs I've seen do try to connect with everybody in at the various levels of the department. I mean, they don't yeah. just have their, team meetings and then expect the teams to go off and do their thing. And yeah. they don't necessarily, you know, talk to the, you know, the event coordinator yeah, yeah, until, yeah. till they're on the, the stage at the user conference. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, and, and understand the, the needs of, of the people on the ground who are actually are doing the work is what you're saying. Yes. There, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and then, and, and they, you know, you want to be able to have comfortable conversations up and down. Yeah. And that's true. That's true for the CEO as well. It's not just yeah. true for the CMO. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Um, so, some good advice there for budding CMOs. Um, uh, one thing I did want to do, and we, we're we're crazy running out of time as usual when we when we chat. And <laughs> but um, I, what I wanted to do was um, touch on your passion for the topic of climate change because it's kind of like weird, isn't it? Because it's where you started. Um, you were telling us about that was the beginning of your career. And of course, you know, regular listeners will know that sometimes you take a break from the show to go do that stuff. Yep. And tell a bit, tell us a bit about that work and what's your passion there and what it is you do. Well, it's, one thing that just popped in my mind is when I was I was running the uh, New Hampshire Solar Energy Association yeah. back in the early '80s, we had a bumper sticker saying "Solar Energy: The yeah. Future Is Now." Yeah. And then, and then as uh, funding for solar projects um, mm-hmm. certainly for a public level was going away. And as the, as the industry was kind of, you know, withering because the price of oil, you know, all the various yeah. dynamics that were changing back then, I would, I, w- I would often quip solar energy. The future was last decade. <laughs> but now, <laughs> now I can honestly say that, uh, you know, from a cost competitive standpoint and, you know, mm. ease of implementation, et cetera, you know, the future is definitely, Today, yeah. right? It's actually been here for for uh, yeah. for a few years, and um, so I think you know. So one of the passions is just seeing that all of that technology that was being developed, you know, yeah. back in those days, really coming to fruition. And broadly, right. I mean, I, I'm where I am in in central Massachusetts. I mean, every farm's got big solar collectors. Yeah. Every you know, our University of Massachusetts has every every parking lot's got you know, uh, the, uh, the, the panels that sort wow. of hang over it. Yeah. And so it's, um, so, I mean, it's, it just, you know, it's, it's certainly motivating to see that happen, but it's also, it's just like, we're in this, this, uh, you know, 10 year race where it's like, we're yeah. supposed to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by 50% and yeah. everybody's dragging their feet. And I yeah. do a lot of work on the state level, uh, yeah. from a, uh, from a legislation perspective, because I, firmly believe that policy it's kind of like 
the market dynamics are are kind of there, um, yeah. but the policies are actually really more um, tilted towards the old way of doing business with fossil fuels. Yeah. So it's like yeah. you got to, you know, we got to change those. At any time, there's a real issue of things not changing properly. It's usually because yeah. of a bad incentive structure, and so we got to change that. Yeah. So, um, so that's the the thing I'm really been focused yeah, on yeah. the last couple of years. So that's good to for the Jeff Clark fans. It's good to know what you're up to when you're not here. And <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, mate, uh, as you know, and I think you've answered this question before, we have a regular feature on the Rockstar CMO called Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, in tribute to all the rock stars that threw things in hotel swimming pools that the young kids don't remember. But it's our portal to marketing hell for the overtight trends, BS and snake oil from the marketing industry we love. What would you like to see chucked into our pool? <sighs> You know, I was just remembering the last year I threw account-based marketing to the pool. You did? Because yeah. I said all B2B marketing is account-based uh, yeah. and selling. And I pulled Agile out of the pool. You did. Uh, I put that in Because you threw there. it in. I pulled it out. <laughs> somebody, somebody since has probably thrown it back in. Um, I mean, there are so many things. And I think the pool is a bit, frankly, a bit full at this yeah. point. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was <laughs> the thing I was thinking about was actually not a new hype thing. but uh, kind of an old thing because as I was my last couple of years at uh, Serious Decisions, I mean, we were trying to um, throw the lead funnel into the pool nice. and talk yeah. more about, you know, there's just this shared engagement between yeah. marketing sales and any other customer yeah. uh, facing function that, that needs to be followed more than, a, you know, we're, you know, we're starting with, you know, whatever thousand marketing interactions and we're yeah. winnowing it down to, you know what the opportunities are it's it's just a much more complicated process than that and actually you know you go back if you know we go back to the early earlier days of marketing where everything was yeah. account based it's like yeah. it it was sales marketing working together to yeah. increase the brand awareness yeah. preference and engagement with with customers and so that's yeah. the way we should be thinking about it yeah and i think um we did chat about the lead funnel didn't we a couple of weeks ago and and the the fact that this 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 physical thing and it doesn't exist you know if we yeah. i think we made reference to squid games because we're down with the cool kids so that's yeah. perfect so we'll be chucking that into the into the very the brimming and a bit of an amalgamation this week jeff because normally i don't ask my guests that i interview for a song choice but since it's you and we normally have a song choice from you what have you got for us this week you know, I was I was thinking about because this was the as I was we were talking about the twenty questions uh, yeah. the interview as I was thinking about well songs that deal with questions and unfortunately yeah. I know we like to be as contemporary as possible <laughs> but, but the uh, <laughs> the song machine was spitting out everything from nineteen sixty and so yeah. uh, one of my favorite tunes from my hometown. Yeah. of Chicago is questions 67 and 68, which I don't think we actually got that high, but hey, might as yeah. well throw it in there anyway. Yeah, by Chicago from 1968. Oh, wow, wow, we were doing so well. We got up to 2009 last week. But, uh, well, next let's... next week, I promise you. <laughs> we'll, we'll go to the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so I'll play out with questions 67 and 68 by Chicago, which I'll, to be honest with you, need to look up. Uh, 1968 thank you very much for your time jeff thanks for sharing your story and uh will you be on next week yes i think we're back on education yes we should get back to education i'll speak to you then mate cheers thank you
that was questions 67 and 68 by Chicago from 1968. I don't actually think I've ever heard that song before. So thank you, Jeff, for that and some absolute gems of advice from our interview. We'll be back to our normal pontifications next week. And I will, of course, include all of Jeff's links in the show notes that you can find at rockstarcmo.fm. Right, on to my guest. Gordon Glenister runs his own global influencer marketing program, helping individuals be the go-to person in their niche. He is a global leader on influencer marketing and has been featured in the Thinkers 360 Top Global Leaders on PR, is a highly regarded keynote speaker, host and panellist. Gordon is the host of Influence, the global podcast, and author of the best-selling book, Influencer Marketing Strategy. He has co-founded a number of trade associations, including the Influence Division of the Branded Content Marketing Association, the Meetings and Events Support Association, and Membership World. Gordon is an active blogger and writes for the London Evening Standard and numerous other publications. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Gordon, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. So pleased to see you, bouncing and bubbly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had me, I've had me cup of tea, a couple of cups of coffee. I'm in good shape. So, good. No, <laughs> and uh, where are we chatting to you from today, Gordon? So I live just outside of Cambridge, um, mm. a beautiful part of the world, little village. I've got four lakes on my doorstep here, and it's been wow. great, particularly in lockdown, to be able to have somewhere where you can, you know go and have yeah. a nice walk and um it's 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 what i call actually it's an rsbb nature reserve it's what i call a, wow. a service station for birds <laughs> wow that sounds awesome, so that we, sounds do, awesome. We, we do have the, mo- the most amazing birds from all around the world that literally almost um, nest breed and then fly on to the north pole or whatever so it's, it's quite a lovely place to have so close and then i'm not that far away i go down to london quite a bit so it's yeah. nice to be able to just jump on a train so i like that the mixture of the vibe of London yeah. plus the tranquility of where I live. Yeah, I don't have I don't have a bird sanctuary, but I'm out in I'm out in Oxfordshire as well. So I mean, you're probably the most local guest I've spoken to for ages. <laughs> 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 We're both in the same country, probably both suffering the same grey weather today as well. Yeah. So we always got to mention the weather. It is, it is. Um, but for folks that don't know you, Gordon, I've had the pleasure of chatting to you a few times. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, right, great. Well, it's lovely to be on the show. Um, I mean, I my, my my background is quite varied. Very much a sort of sales and marketing area. Worked in the sold matches for a living i've worked in the drinks <laughs> industry um cider and beer in particular um i've had my own um uh, incentive company um and um i've also run a trade association for 11 years which is the promotional mm. products industry where I've, I've got quite a lot of my reputation there as a sort of industry leader and then in 2018 i start i left that and started my own uh, consultancy to help other trade associations actually with their strategy right. and helping improve that not thinking for a moment I'd ever end up in the influencer marketing industry and sometimes yeah. things happen as my mum often yeah. says things happen for a reason and I, yeah. I met the um, the global head of the branded content marketing association in Soho in a Charlotte Street hotel never, never forget <laughs> it. And, and we were just having a chat about various things and I just happened to say you know Who's looking after the the influencer space? Who's looking after yeah. the agencies, the brands, the influencers themselves? It's a fairly unregulated sector. It's full of yeah. um, 
lots of challenges. The media has given it a bit of a knock. Um, mm. Who's looking after their interests? And we realised they hadn't been. So anyway, cut a long story short, we set up an, the influence division of the Branded Content Marketing Association. Mm. Um, and that was back in 2019. And since then, I've published a book on influencer marketing yeah. strategy. Um, I have I host my own podcast, which is called Influence, yeah. the global podcast, which you know about. Um, yeah. which is obscene. I mean, to be honest, I've never written a book before, um, never, ever really done a podcast. Um, and, and I now write for the London Evening Standard newspaper. Yeah. Um, just everything seems to have happened very positively. And then more recently, I'm also Chief Strategy Officer for for um, Audience to Media, which is a global right. influencer marketing agency that's got over 100 million people on its platform. I mean... Who would have thought these things would yeah. happen? And, and more, yeah. I'm involved in my membership. <laughs> I, love, I love how you just answered about three of my questions in one answer. <laughs> you, can tell, you can tell a good podcast guest. You're just like, bam, 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 there's three. Um, so why don't we start? I know it's, it wasn't something you prepped for, but why don't we start with the book? I mean, what's the name of your book and when did you publish it? And what was the process for that? So, okay. The book was published in uh, March last year. I had an art, it's called influencer marketing strategy. Um, I had, um, and to be honest, I'll tell you how it all came about because I was at a show, an exhibition marketing show. And because I entered the influencer marketing space, I just thought the the company, the organization was called Kogan Pays. They had a whole lot of business books on their stand. And I asked the lady behind the counter, is it, you got a book on influencer marketing? And she said, well, yeah. no, I haven't. So I thought, that's a bit weird. You're a business publication <laughs> company. You've got books yeah. on social media. You've got no books on influencer marketing. And bearing yeah. in mind, I was fairly new into the industry per se then. I was building up some connections. So I thought, you know what? It would be great if I if I wrote one. Um, yeah. So I, I, I basically pitched the idea to Kogan Page. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, they they loved it and they invited me in and I'm thinking what the hell am I doing you know I mean I've yeah, got yeah. no idea about writing a book you know like <laughs> um, anyway as I say cut a long story short I uh, I got this publishing contract to write a book mm-hmm. um, yeah. and um, and then of course we went it took me quite a while as you can imagine and having yeah. working with a publisher means that you have somebody on your coattails all of the time yeah, yeah. Month, but they're yeah. also helping you and making sure that you um, you get it right I think. One of my greatest learnings was realizing that actually this book is about a curation of lots and lots of case studies, lots of other yeah. thought leaders in the space, which is fundamental, by the way, to influence. You know, you'll never mm-hmm. really make everything on your own. You need people. No. You need your yeah. circle of influence. And in a yeah. way, I started that whole process with the book, you know. Yeah. And, of course, when it came then to, to promote it, I've got all of these people that are yeah. part of the book. That we're yeah. happily saying this is great, Gordon. You know, well done, yeah. and let me share it to my audience. And of course, bingo, you know. Yeah, fantastic. but the, but the online book launch was something else. I have to say, I was mm-hmm. um, we had 106 people on Zoom to that. Um, mm-hmm. I've now done subsequently. I've done two more book launches uh, wow. as a host for other people, <laughs> um, yeah. which I which I've loved, and we made it entertaining. We made it fun. Yeah. We made it lively. Um, even the LinkedIn post on the 3rd of March. Can you imagine how important it was for me to get that right? You know, can you imagine yeah. if I'd done a LinkedIn post and it, <laughs> it dribbled out and nobody yeah. saw it? So I yeah. used all my tactics yeah. to, to get, and we managed to get to sort of 16,000 views, 241 nice. comments. 
Um, and, and of course, that was also because we tagged a lot of the people that were involved mm. in the book as well. And yeah. we, we got lots of comments. I asked a few nice. people to share it on a WhatsApp group. So it was a, yeah. I used everything altogether. Well, nice. Well, congratulations. And from what I understand, having talked to a few authors on the show, and actually, I know a couple of people who've written for Kogan Page and really good experience uh, working with that particular publisher. Yeah. But also, um, it's not writing the book. That, I mean, that's a lot of effort, but it's promoting the book. Oh, it's also God, a yeah, lot of effort, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, one, one yeah. additional thing that I think is is really fascinating here um, is it's going to be uh, translated. It's already been translated and published in Brazil. Wow. And, and so on the 15th of, of March, I'm, going, I'm yeah. being flown over by the publisher to do a week-long book tour in Brazil. And they want, nice. they want to make it a bestseller over there, which is insane, isn't it, really? But it's I a, think it's brilliant. It's such a big audience. I mean, yeah. Brazil is the is the third third biggest country for influencer marketing, and we don't have the yeah. same competition. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping – and they're actually going to make a documentary with me as well, which is fantastic. It's uh, – Oh, well, congratulations. And uh, I mean, it's it's testament to the fact that mark, uh, influencer marketing is all a buzz at the moment. Yes. And I hope you don't mind me mentioning another book or another author, but I chatted to Jason Falls, author of Winfluence, a couple of episodes ago over the holidays, and he referred to the duck face V-sign crowd, which has somewhat tarnished the term, hasn't it? I mean, when people think about um, influencer marketing, they're thinking about those kids. But how do you define a good influencer marketing program? Well, it's an interesting it's an interesting question, something I've been asked a lot. And and really, mm. let's not kid ourselves. Influencer marketing isn't new. It's like Emperor's mm. New Clothing with a new term. It's fundamentally yeah. word of mouth marketing. That's really what mm-hmm. it is. It's the ability to promote a product or service through an individual, um, mm-hmm. often through thought leadership, opinion, uh, or basically content creation. And, you know, yeah. that's how I really describe it. It's, it's, as I say, it's not overcomplicated. But what you what is important is that you find the right person that resonates with your audience, um, that, that, can, that can promote, sell, um, or advocate for you. Um, right. And when done well, influencer marketing can generate 11 times greater ROI than almost any other form of media. Wow. Um, and particularly yeah. for those those individuals that work on ambassador programs. I mean, you have mm-hmm. you have now you have now organizations that have built their entire marketing strategy on influencer mm-hmm. marketing, you know, like Boohoo, um, ASOS, you know, pretty little yeah. thing, particularly in the fashion world. Um, but many, many gaming brands. I mean, I interviewed somebody on my podcast a little while ago uh, when they launched a new EA Games. I'm sure you're aware of them, huge global brand. And, and when they mm-hmm. launched one of their brands, they had uh, 250,000 people um you know, come online to the to the reveal of this new game, and in twenty four hours, right. it got two billion downloads or something crazy. And they used sixty. That's all sixty influencer gamers. Wow! And but you also in the discussion we had before the show, you were talking about how sometimes influencer marketing is used to shape products and create products. Hundred percent. So there's a yeah. there's an organization. Um, called um mg power actually a, a, an agency and they used um uh, for a product called puricane which is a, a sugar mm-hmm. sweetener what they did funny enough in brazil they invited yeah. a number of of, of big influencers uh, to a hotel for three days i think it was um and what they wanted to do is create this new this new product um, and, yeah. and bearing in mind sometimes products are different in different countries so you'll find that what what works in the united states may not have a complete it's a completely different audience maybe in south yeah. america so 
So basically what the content creators did was to reach out to their audiences while they were at the hotel. What do you think of this product? What do you think of that design? So they were they were almost curating this, this strategy on the fly, but not just with three or four influencers, but with their entire audience base. Wow. So you can imagine when the product actually came to be released, you've almost got a ready-made, excitable audience. So mm. yeah, we've, we've been involved in this. We've, we, we're, we're actually right behind you. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that. And um, I think um, Joe Polizzi, who wrote Content Inc., talks about the same thing, is that when you create something, people are going to start giving you feedback, and that's what you need to listen to in terms of shaping your product. And I think that's, that's, that's really interesting. 100%. Well, what's really great about this, when you think of the media, where would where would a celebrity, where would an individual, where would a brand get real-time mm. feedback? You go and watch something on TV mm. and you think, oh, I hate this TV advert. I'm switching over. I hate it. What I really hate is this. But they're not yeah. listening to that. They can't see that because they're detached yeah. from it. Whereas yeah. actually you've got real-time feedback, good, bad, indifferent. Uh, you've got ideas coming. I mean, I've interviewed content, fashion content creators, and they've they've actually said, um, oh, we love what you're wearing, Josie, but it'd be great if you could also have a look at this type of product or that type of product. Yeah. So some of these fashion influencers then go out and hunt for products like that so that wow. they can bring those in uh, into the uh, into their next stories or, or, or reels yeah. or post yeah yeah but um aside from the influencer marketing thing and, and what we as marketers or brands um need to do with influencers um when we were when we were chatting in preparation for the show i we were chatting about the fact that you look at both sides of influencer marketing um in terms of you know as cmos and senior marketers particularly i mean that's who my audience is for the podcast so just to focus on that there's a view that we need to cultivate a personal brand to be influencers 100%. um and you know nowadays it's part of our value to the market isn't it is yeah. our personal brand so um so you run a program about that tell us a bit about that yeah well i mean and i'm passionate about that and i, I guess what mm -hmm. i am is probably living proof of somebody that literally entered a market that i was completely yeah. unfamiliar with and and yeah. and i go through a process so you know i i, I always surround my with myself with 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 my sort of circle of influence if i want to find yeah. out about an industry i'll often go to a trade association funny enough or i'll go yeah. to a community and i'll find the heads of those groups um, but but yeah no I run a program which is over sort of three months on Zoom. Um, it's a one yeah. it's a one to one support coaching, but it's very very focused on helping mm -hmm. individuals become becoming more influential. And, and I go through a, a process which is the, the most important thing of all is before you decide what type of content you should be doing. Yeah. You should start to look at who else is targeting the same sector as you. It's the same old principles mm -hmm. of marketing, isn't it? Do your yeah, research. Yeah. You know, we apply the rules with promoting products. Yeah. Why would we not apply the same rules as ourselves? Yeah. So, so, for example, um, you know, what, what I'd be saying to somebody, uh, doing a simple exercise, and that is get a, an Excel spreadsheet. Have a look mm -hmm. at 10 other individuals that you believe are either, you know, somewhat similar to you. Yeah. And have a look at their last 10 posts. And let's just say you do this on LinkedIn, but you could do it on Twitter, on Instagram yeah. or any of them. And have a look at the, at the what type of, of posts that they've put out. Is it is it a, a, a post, a, a video? Is it a stat? Whatever type of thing it is. And then, then observe what comments and a level of engagement they have had back. So can you imagine seeing this on an Excel spreadsheet? Yeah. You've almost got then some amazing attributes which allow you to put this through a, 
almost like a washing machine of, of great content. Yeah. Um, so that's the first thing I, I ask people to do, is to have a look at where we are. Before, before we even start the race, think about this as you're going to start the marathon. You wouldn't just go the marathon and go, go straight off into the sunset. Oh, yeah. I think my audience would want this. Do not think yeah. anything. You know, it, it's all about doing what, you know, the, the best influencers the content creators are all over their insights. They know mm -hmm. what content works. They know what time it works. Um, they build up to what I call a weekly moment. Um, yeah. Everybody should have a weekly moment. <laughs> yeah. Like a dance routine. That's something that you do on a regular basis. Yeah. For, so you Go on, sorry. Yeah. So again, I mean, I referred to Joe Polizzi earlier. I mean, that's the same sort of thing that the content marketing crowd talk about, isn't it? That you need to commit and show up on a regular basis Correct. so that your audience know where they're going to find you Correct. and when, right? Correct. So, my, so mine, for example, I have an influencer mm -hmm. marketing roundtable every single Wednesday on Zoom um, yeah. at 8.30 to 9.30. I share mm -hmm. loads yeah. of tips, but also, so it's half an hour of content and half an hour of conversation. Mm -hmm. And it mm. absolutely works. We have no more than about 20 people, sometimes 15 yeah. or so. It's, it's, it's a very well-rehearsed sort of formula. People can duck in and duck out when sometimes they come for one and not the other. Um, they meet people. But, what, what, but, but I am almost becoming influential, not just because of what I'm dispensing, because I'm seen mm. as the person that, that, that's the go-to. So you yeah. just said a few minutes ago, didn't you, about – um, we need to be more influential, and some people don't like the term influencer. They don't no. want to be. They don't want to be the selfie crowd and stuff like that. They don't need to be, right? You yeah. don't need to be. You can be that expert. You know, one of my podcasts that I know you've listened to, where we spoke to the head of employee advocacy, Ryan Bars, talks about the IBMers, and these are employees yeah. as influencers. Yeah. Um, and, and they don't want to be called influencers. They do not want to be called that. But what they do want to be is they, they know their stuff. They know their yeah. stuff, and they want to be seen as experts in their field. And they're so, to their level of authenticity and, yeah. and, and value to the IBM customers is, is huge. Yeah, and I I really enjoyed that episode because being a B two B marketer myself, um, I think that kind of uh, program humanizes the brand it as does. well. I mean, it I isn't think. about just individual personal brands, and I think some organisations shy away from encouraging their executives to create personal brands for fear of losing them or for fear of distraction or whatever. But I think that it humanizes your organization because people get to know your people. hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I, I love it when somebody says we're hiring and it's not yeah. come from the HR person. It's come from a, yeah. from a regular yeah. guy that's on the, I don't know, the sales floor production line or something. It tells me, yeah. that, goodness me, it's they're, they're passionate about the company that yeah. they, they, they are from and it's we, we need great people in our organisation. Um, yeah. And I think maybe the pandemic has, has had an impact on that, Ian, to be honest. Mm -hmm. We've, we've yeah. become more human and we want to, you know, when it comes to, there's an interesting stat I'm going to share with you now, amongst Gen Zs, and, mm -hmm. and millennials, they tradition, they trust traditional advertising to the tune of just one percent. Wow! So they they yeah. will listen to their YouTube friends, they will listen yeah. to their content creators, their gaming friends, mm -hmm. because they 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 have this amazing connection with their audience mm -hmm. that oozes relatability, authenticity, mm -hmm. uh, entertainment value, all of those things. And that's why I was watching something on TV just the other day, and and um, 
they were saying, um, do you watch mainstream TV anymore? And, and people, are, they, yeah. they said Netflix and Amazon, Netflix and Amazon, and, it, and they're yeah. not, or YouTube, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that was around the launch of BBC Three, I think. That new, they're they're going to take that from online to being, and the kids don't care, right? So, and and yeah. I like what you were talking about there, about the influence, because, I mean, it sounded like you'd listened to some of the uh, conversations around our dinner table, right? Which is because I've got an 18-year-old who's, who's, who's share, you know, her worldview is formed by by what she learns on social, not what she learns through mainstream media, uh, or from the advertising that she does not trust. No, right? well, that's, that's so, true, you see. And th- but this yeah. is the reason why the government used influencers during the pandemic yeah. for the first time, because they, yeah. you know, Dr. Alex, for example, ex-Love yeah. Island, now is significant influencer because he yeah. oozes trust. But also yeah. the, the younger generation... Um, will look up to him because they they don't they they're, they're a bit anti-establishment in many ways. Yes. So yeah. so how does the how does something like the government get through, or how do you know governing bodies get through their message when you've got people that aren't li- literally listening to the radio in the same numbers, watching the TV in the same numbers, um, yet they will be all over TikTok. Um, so that's why mm. brands are yeah, putting yeah. millions into TikTok. You know. Yeah, I want to. Um, so just to circle back to something we just mentioned. So we've mentioned your books. I've ticked that off. <laughs> but also um, your podcast, um, the Global Influencer Marketing Podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. It's also on the Marketing Podcast Network, same as us. So you hear a lot yeah, about that now that yeah, people fellow, listen fellow to this. Yeah. What inspired you to start your podcast and how's that experience? Uh, it's been a great experience, actually. And I, I mean, like you, I just love people. I love talking to people. Yeah. I love listening to their stories. It's a, it's a natural place for me to be. And uh, yeah. I've had so much fun with it. met some amazing people, amazing brands. I didn't know how it was going to go. I mean, you do hear sometimes people think, oh, my goodness, you know, I've started this podcast. It's, now it's a real ball <laughs> ache to keep doing. I mean, yeah. we only we publish every two weeks, um, right. and I, I'm probably about five or six weeks out. I have moved a couple of platforms. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're now on the NPM. I have been on Anchor and Buzzsprout. Uh, the yeah. problem, of course, is that the, the, the audience data doesn't, travel with you, yeah. which is a bit of a bummer yeah. um yeah. but um you know it's for professionally produced i think that's made a big difference yeah um and um as i say my my producer is a radio dj which i think in, nice. the, in the early days actually when i first started i i actually recorded in a proper radio studio he he, wow. he coached me about um you know the, the language how to interview really well how to script yeah. for certain things and emphasis yeah. on certain words so that was really helpful yeah. actually we've become really good friends yeah yeah no I can imagine I mean I, I I just started experimenting and I think the first five episodes aren't published anymore because they were, <laughs> I was talking into the wrong end of the microphone I think they're so shit yeah. but I um I, I've since interviewed all the same people over again so they're, they're much better quality but I think that you owe it to the the listener to to make as much effort as you can in the production, right? Because right. Um, it really makes a difference. If you're a podcast listener, you really notice those differences, don't you? Yeah, and I know that. I mean, I, I, there have been some imperfections. I won't lie, and that's sometimes because Always. of um, you know you, 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 when you're talking to a guest, you can say to you can ask them to do all the right things, but uh, yeah, yeah. you know it's, it's difficult enough sometimes to get them there, and, and then you yeah. think, oh dear, the audio isn't perfect, but you know yeah. it's. Yeah. And, and I know that's an issue, but uh, I, th- I think as well, I started when I recorded it was there, they were sort of 50 odd minutes. But what has yeah. changed is I've um, dropped that down significantly to sort of 20 minutes, half yeah. an hour maximum. Um, one yeah. thing that I'm really excited about is I've got my first sort of major sponsorship from the mm-hmm. influence 
Um, so we've I, I interviewed five fashion influencers, um, mm-hmm. all with the same theme, actually, uh, influencers that are new retailers. And they've all got mm-hmm. amazing stories behind them. But what we're going to do in is we're going to drop one of them as a special limited edition series. So it's 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 not it's outside of the every two weeks. Um, yeah. We're going to drop one of them uh, during London Fashion Week one day. Nice. So we think timing of distribution is as yes. important as the creation yes. of the content. Yes, and all of the things you just said, I'm not doing. So mine's mine's produced by an amateur. That'd be me. <laughs> I publish on a Saturday, which is the day everybody tells you you shouldn't publish. But the one thing I do agree with, absolutely. I mean, it's not that I don't disagree. I know I'm doing the wrong things, but is the um, is people start these things like podcasts or blogs, right? And they don't realize that it, the commitment that it's going to be. And right. and you and and I mean, brands do this as well. Companies do this where they try and kick off this new initiative. And if they don't see anything in the first three months, they're like, I'm going to stop. You know, they don't get the, the buzz out of it. And, and the, so, traction um, comes, the traction, I mean, what, what yeah. I tell you has happened is obviously now I've got a sponsorship package as well. But, yeah. but, but increasingly what it's done is it's, you know, people see my name and what I stand for yeah. everywhere. They see my book, they see my podcast, yeah. they see what I'm doing. Yeah. And and so one of the, the most important things about being influential is to be, is to being visible online in a very crowded market. You know, you're, yeah. you're absolutely right about the fact that people trust. And even if they've not met me, they may well have heard about me or they, you know, I, I'd hope it was the right, the right way. Of <laughs> because, because a brand is what somebody says about you when you're not in the room. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And, that's true. Well, Jason was kind enough to call me the rock star CMO guy in his big, right, you know. Right. <laughs> and you are, and you are. <laughs> All right. So come and come to our last question as uh, we're wi- ra- rapidly running out of time. Uh, we have a regular feature on the Rockstar CMO. Uh, podcast called the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool in tribute to all the rock stars that threw things in hotel swimming pools. By the way, I had to explain that to a young guest that I had because they'd never heard of that. <laughs> and but it's our portal to marketing hell for the overhyped trends, BS, and snake oil from this marketing industry we love. What would you like to see chucked into our Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool? Oh my goodness! What would I like to? <laughs> this is the equivalent of that TV show, wasn't it? Um... Yeah, room one hundred and one. Oh, room one hundred and one. Room one hundred and one. Yeah, yeah. Think, think, yeah, completely stolen from there. Yeah, you're right. Things that I don't like. Yeah. Um, oh, what really gets to me? Um, I'm just trying to think. Actually, I should have prepared this answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the one that catches the guests out. Is there anything? Is there something about influencer marketing that you see and you you just cringe and you just hate and it? And it's it tarnishes you, the thing that you're passionate about. Well, I mean, yeah, okay. So I think I think to be fair, what I what I don't like is is an over an over self orientated, um, mm-hmm. over filtered, over curated image because that is what's damaging. Um, you know, right. look at me. I mean, I tell you what. I tell you what really got my goat actually was. Was was during was was what I call the Dubai influencer. Was when yeah. we were all suffering um, in lockdown, and let's be honest, we all were. Um, mm. And and you had pictures of people, influencers there, you know, saying, "Oh no, I, I'm I'm not getting my normal holiday intake." You know, yeah. some of those people were slammed, and quite rightly so, because you know, mm-hmm. if you think about it, you know, I think if you're influential and you're, you, you, mm-hmm. you, you know, people are looking up to you a lot, particularly women. A lot of girls are looking up to, you know, they yeah. they see their influences as as icons. I want to be like that, and mm-hmm. and and I think 
I don't like that. I mean, I'm a great believer in do do to others what you would do unto yourself. Is is be yeah. be kind, be courteous, be be supportive, be there, turn up. Um, and and so I don't like it when people um, lack empathy. Is probably the yeah. thing I would as if you could throw the lack empathy. Uh, yes. is, is realizing you know you may have got four million followers, but you. Yeah you didn't one day and never forget the people that helped you on the way up because guess what they'll remember you on the way on your way down (laughs) i love it i love it what a lovely note to 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 finish on uh so we'll chuck the the uh the influencers without empathy into the rockstar cmo swimming pool and and when people spin the dial on the interwebs gordon where they're going to find you um so you can head over to my website which is uh gordonglenister.com uh, mm-hmm. Influence Global Podcast is on Spotify. And if you want to look at Influencer Marketing Strategy in my book, it's on Amazon and other leading bookstores. But it's been a pleasure uh-huh. talking to you today. Thank you, Ian. Thanks. Thanks, Gordon. And I will include all those links in the show notes. Thanks, mate. And I'll speak to you soon. Great. Thank Cheers, you. Gordon. Bye-bye. Thank you, Gordon. I really enjoyed our chat. An interesting take on influencer marketing and being an influencer. And I will, of course, include all of the links to Gordon, his podcast and his book in the show notes that you can find on rockstarcmo.fm. Right. Time to wind down for the week. And where better than the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, the chief troublemaker of the content advisory, Robert Rose, to be transported away with a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. It is time for the weekend, isn't it? It's uh it's um yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be sort of kicked back and, and just to chat about things. Um well, okay, so mm-hmm. In the bar this week, we have so it's hot here. It is, it, I, and which is weird. It's a, it's a very weird thing because usually in Southern California, we get, uh, you know, it, it gets, you know, it's not, it's temperate here, of course. This is the reason yeah. we live here, but it has been hot this week. And so it's felt a little bit like summer. And so I have on the docket for us tonight a, what we're calling basically, a tequila mojito Um, and I haven't made one of these in a long time and so I thought it would be a perfect way for us to cool off in the heat um, and enjoy something maybe poolside or something like that Uh, and it's ostensibly the same as you might expect a mojito to be Um, Mm -hmm. fresh mint of course crushed um, a little bit of lime and you know, squeezed into a glass or or a pitcher. In this case, maybe we'll do a pitcher. Of <laughs> um, and then, of course, ice. And then, now here's the most important part because normally you would put white rum into a, a mojito, mm-hmm. but what yeah. we're going to use is a silver or a blanco uh, tequila. And um, and usually, I'm not too much of a fan of blanco tequilas, but this mm-hmm. particular uh, drink calls for that for sure because you need that sort of very light, light taste. Um, and you pull all that together, shake it up and pour it over ice with the crushed mint and the lime wedges. And you're, you're talking very f- refreshing drink on a hot day. 
That sounds delicious. That sounds delicious. Well, using the uh, limited resources of my desktop bar, I shall yeah. attempt to replicate that very same cocktail for well, us Well, that's here. fantastic. And I have a very light English tequila ah. uh, called Hendrix Gin. You'll ah, be surprised yes. to learn. As, uh, as we often say, the most English of tequilas. Yes. Yeah. But before I get going with that, and by the way, you'll notice I'm not using the shaker and everything because I felt that I felt that I was testing the listeners' patience with me making a martini. So if I put a bit of uh, crikey, I've put some gin in there with some ice. And what was this? What was the mixer that you were using? Uh, we were basically um, tequila. And then really no mixer other than the lime juice itself and um, and then the mint leaves um, in there. There's no okay. – I mean, the, the traditional mojito calls for a little sugar. But again, uh-huh. as I yeah. want to say yeah. on this show anyway, I don't really yeah. do sugar in cocktails. So No. All right. Well – as it's as it show one on one one oh one, I've done a bit of a reset with my desktop bar, and I seeing the return of um, very similar ingredients muddled together by the good people at Fever Tree, uh, ah. and they've called it cucumber tonic water. So, ah, cucumber tonic water. Yes, <laughs> yes, about the closest thing to mint leaves that you're going to find probably in the UK <laughs> right about now. Um, All right, I'm going to give this a sip. Oh, that is refreshing, Robert. I see what you mean. And what were we calling that? Uh, we're calling that the tequila mojito. That's delicious. I could drink one of these every single week. I suspect I you I could, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so where, and we forgot this last week, <laughs> where are we sipping these? You mentioned by the pool, anywhere specific? You know, I there is a place that I have been looking at, and this was funny. I was looking at this place while it was cold and rainy here, yeah. um, and it's a place I've never been actually, um, which is Rio de Janeiro. Um, and it felt like the right place to enjoy a tequila mojito, um, and especially a place that I've heard about and seen, of course, on you know photos and 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 television yeah. and whatnot. Copacabana Beach. Um, which is just looks spectacular from the pictures and from the way that it's yeah. filmed. Um, I have never been there, but I think it would be a great place for us to go and stick our toes in the sand and drink mojitos. I think we would fit right in with the beautiful people down there. <laughs> yeah, they are beautiful. There are a lot of beautiful people there. there that is absolutely the truth. Yeah, my, my my sister-in-law's been so I've heard tale of uh, of down there. It's, it sounds absolutely beautiful, as, as you say. Have you ever been to South America at all? I, I, mean, I have not. I have uh, not been to South America at all. Full stop. Yeah, I am, and and have wanted to go for a long time, and have never really found the excuse. So. Splendid. Um, well, if there's anybody out there that needs content marketing experience yeah. down, down, down that anybody way, then give us a shout. Pay me to go to Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> Rio de Janeiro. I'd be, I'd be, mm. I'd be up for that. Or Peru, quite frankly. I'm, I'm a big yeah. fan of Peru as well. Mm, no, it sounds splendid. So uh, somebody has. Uh, we, we've, we're, we're on Copacabana Beach. We're drinking these very fine uh, tequila mojitos, uh, and we're cooling down. What? Is the conversation going to turn to this week, Robert? Well, I think you'll be shocked that we'll talk a little about content strategy. Um, I mean, I know that's such an mm. odd topic for us to talk about. Exactly. You know, here <laughs> this is something I was thinking of the other day as well mm-hmm. with, um, you know, where I live. I, li- I So I live in L.A. or Hollywood, mm-hmm. if you want to 
you want to call mm -hmm. it that. And there is an old trope around Hollywood, you know, and you'll even see it on bumper stickers on cars and t-shirts and mm -hmm. that sort of thing, which is, you know, but what I really want to do is direct. And, <laughs> and it basically refers to actors and musicians mm -hmm. and writers and basically those that, you know, that, that work on films because interestingly, and this is why I was actually looking at this, ironically, up until arguably the last couple of years, film is, was sort of the, you know, the feature film was sort of the highest pinnacle of any career. Mm -hmm. um, and the director of feature films were the most celebrated, right? You know, it's, it's why best director is the second to last behind best picture and the Oscars. And, mm -hmm. you know, the director is really it, right? So, you know, celebrated film directors are sort of the auteurs or considered the artists of the <laughs> film world. And, yeah. And so the interesting thing, though, is that it's a very ironic thing that the director's role is probably the furthest from actually direct creation of any of the content. And, you know, all their job is to do, you know, they don't write, they mm -hmm. don't, yeah. you know, act, they don't play the music, they don't edit the film, they don't even point to camera in most cases. Now, I know there are directors that do double duty here, but... But yeah. ostensibly, the director's role on a film is to direct the individual artists so that it comes out with a consistent, engaging, wonderful voice. And mm -hmm. the best directors do that task so well that they basically pull the individual artist's voice out and mesh it all together into their own style, which is yeah. a fascinating talent if you really think about it. And that really rang true to me for what a true content strategy is. It is a, it is at the end of the day, like film, a director's medium, a B2B or B2C content strategy for a brand is a mm -hmm. director's medium. And the reason for that, and the reason I say that is because I was talking with this client and they were talking about scalability and you know, the, as is usual, the, the, you know, the, the complaint about scalability is, Hey, we're, we want to be more strategic as a function, content marketing mm -hmm. or content strategy in our business, mm -hmm. but how do we become more strategic without adding more headcount? You know, mm -hmm. how can we take on more content? Cause it feels like this never ending treadmill. And <laughs> I started to write this thing down, which I've now started to call uh, Robert's law of content. <laughs> which is you, you never will, right? The, no. the, and the Robert, my Robert's law of content is basically the need for content expands in direct proportion to the number of resources allocated to it. And, <laughs> you know, in other words, it doesn't matter how big your content team is. You'll always be behind mm -hmm. in terms of the amount of content being demanded of you. And so very much like a director on a film, the real functional strategy of content in a business is not to just sort of try and scale all the individual artists to the point where you can meet that demand. Mm -hmm. It is rather about creating a team whose function is like a movie director, where it is about guiding, shaping, and developing everyone at the edges of the business, their talent, so that they can actually create the content at scale. In other words, it's about pulling out the individual talents of the salespeople, the customer service people, the CEO, the, so that all the content that's getting created at every part and in every corner of the business is in that consistent, engaging style uh, to do that. And so at the end, 
my advice to my client there was to say, hey, listen, what you should do is basically get all your staff T-shirts that basically say, but what I really want to do is direct. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, and also the, the authentic voice of other, other people outside the marketing team are actually often the people that are far more interesting to talk to for your for your customer or for your audience, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, it is, it is, um, you know, the, uh, that's where really the magic happens, right? When you see a great yeah. content strategy is when the business itself has a style, right? Yeah. In other words, you, you know, it's not, and it's easy. And we've talked about this on the show before mm. where you look at different outputs from different parts of the business and, you know, the thought leadership is very, you know, conservative and, stayed mm-hmm. and you know and it's very uh you know straightforward and by the book and yeah. you know here you go and it's kind of boring and doesn't really have a distinctive point of view but then you look at some of the marketing stuff and it's playful and fun and it's got cartoon characters mm-hmm. and you know and you're <laughs> like those two things don't really go together yeah. very well yeah and the greatest ones the the ones where the 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 really you know the the magic happens is when you look at the entirety of the journey Mm-hmm. And everything sort of matches to a great style, a unique voice. Yeah. It's engaging. G- experiences are connected with one another. And I think the only way you can really get there is if you actually empower all of those little corners of the business to create stuff, but you do it in a way where each one of them is adhering to, you know, and, and by the way, willingly and trustingly adhering, not just, you know, because it's, you know, they have to check a box or that there's brand police or whatever, but they're (laughs) adhering willingly and trustingly to the voice that of the quote unquote director, which in the business's case is the content strategy team. Yeah. But isn't that, I think this is really interesting because doesn't that, um, because typically in my experience, um, a content team is tip, they have a background in writing. Some of them are a little introverted. They're creators. This is a different skill set, isn't it? Being the director or being the editor, being the curator, being the person that's going to light a fire under somebody else to do the writing. Does that change the the sort of skill set you need within your content team then? Well, it can, right? I mean, because again, like a director, right? You know, you might have you in any one individual business, you might have the writer director or the actor director or the producer right. director or, you know, those kinds of double duty talents that you need in order to make a great movie. And mm-hmm. in order to make a great content strategy, your content team may more or less create actual content, right? I know some content strategy teams that create zero content, their whole you know, their whole remit is basically just to ensure that the standards, playbooks, guidelines, right. et cetera, that are being done are done so in a way that enables everybody else to create content. And their right. only job is to just ensure the great flow and the great consistency of content. That's rare where it's zero mm. content being created. But to your point, in some cases, it does change fundamentally what you do as a content strategy team because in many ways, what you're having to sort of evolve into is not just a team of, you know, editors or a team of journalists mm. or a team of writers. You have to start to understand how do you enable someone else to become a writer or a journalist? You know, it, it's sort yeah. of bringing your expertise to bear in and helping the organization develop its own skills to be able to do that. 
So it, yeah, yeah. it does change it because it goes from being sort of individual contributor to teacher. Mm. But also to your point about scale, maybe, you know, when, when, when the organization is smaller, then, or, then that, then you start off with that typical content type of team, but as it grows, you grow it by, by with directors rather than more creators. Yes, I mean, yes, in the you know, obviously not a not a binary choice there, right? And and your mileage may vary on that strategy, but (laughs) but the the overall arching goal is what you just said, right? Which is as you start scaling into the business, Mm. you know, the idea is is that you become an enabling organization, you know, a movie director, as you as it were, rather than a you know a, a single you know, function, yeah. right? Otherwise yeah. you end up where my friend, the, my client ended up, which is, you know, everybody recognized them. You know, everybody mm-hmm. saw that, oh, that's the content team. You know, if yeah. you need good words or good pictures, that's where you go, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's it. That's all they were. So they were never considered strategic and they were never considered, you know, even though they were considered important, they were never considered strategic because it was simply, mm. ah, if you need something written well or you need something designed well, that's you go to that content studio, quote unquote. And mm. instead, if we really want to be strategic as a leading function in the business, our overarching goal needs to be enablement, not just service. Yeah. And I think, and I, I mean, obviously, I mean, you know that I've seen that tension as well in, in organizations I've worked in. But I, but I also think that. So sometimes you need to reframe that is is because when people talk about becoming strategic, what's the point of becoming strategic, right? So I think we, you need to articulate, well, look, if we became more strategic, we could scale the content. The content, the content will actually improve in relevance because rather than marketers writing, it's being written by people who understand this topic and, and try and frame the conversation like that. Have you seen any, you know, do you see what I mean? It's like... people seem to be executives seem to have become a bit blind to the idea of you know it needs to become more strategic well do we need to express better how and why (laughs) yeah 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 i think that's i think that's you know (laughs) you know it's a little bit like asking why accounting needs to be strategic or why the legal (laughs) needs to be strategic or why you know marketing or sales needs to be strategic right at the end of the day it's like it's sort of a self-evident yeah. thing. It's like, you know, if you're going to yeah. do something, why not do it well, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, but I, t- but yeah, I mean, it's, it, and in some cases, I, I might argue, you know, it'd be pretty rare, I suspect, but in some cases, mm. it may not need to be, right? In other mm. words, if content marketing or editorial or thought leadership or whatever is going to be and continue to be a tiny piece of your portfolio, and you're a small company where, you know, you've got really talented people who can create great things, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe it is mm-hmm. just a, a haphazard sort of thing and it doesn't become a sort of, it doesn't need to become a strategic function in your particular business. I, I think that's exceedingly rare these days with as many channels yeah. as we have and as many assets as we need to produce and as you know, the need for content, you know, exponentially rises and in, in terms of differentiating, but mm-hmm. you know, there, I'm sure there are examples of that out there where it, yeah, we yeah. don't need it to be strategic. It just is, it's okay to be, you know, a, a, a you know, a, 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 a function in the business. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And I, and I think that we come, come to this topic quite often, don't we, about the 
fact that content teams need to figure out a way to move from being that content vending machine of, yeah, if you want some copy, just give those guys a shout. It doesn't really matter what it is, right? To um, to, to becoming a strategic part of the storytelling of the brand. I think that's, that's really important. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, and where can we find thoughts like this written up in some kind of format? Well, by a director. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure well. there are many places you might find. Um, what if you were directing? <laughs> yes, not the least of which is our little movie production on the web, which of course is uh, contentadvisory.net. Fantastic! And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, Roberts, where are they going to find you? Oh, all the places you know, LinkedIn, <laughs> Twitter, all those places, podcasting. You know, I'm there. We haven't do a search. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't, um, uh, we haven't, we haven't found you on on TikTok yet, though. <laughs> no, we have not. We have not. I have been a little busy, uh, a little cobbler's kids there, you know, busy type of thing. I have not gotten to my TikTok videos yet. Yeah, uh, yeah. but I do. I'm, I do actually plan to at some point. Splendid. Well, I know. I heard you on a podcast the other day by. Um, by somebody I'd interviewed on this show, Eric Fulweiler. Um, I thought that was a that was a great, good show. I'll include a link to that in the show notes as well, where you were Indeed. talking about content. That was that was good. And uh, of course, the name of his podcast just slipped out of my head as I ad hoc decide to plug something. But uh, I'll include a link to it in the show notes. I thought that was great as well, Robert. Uh, well, thanks very much, mate. And will I see you in the bar next week? You will. Thank you, Robert. Our little sprinkle of Hollywood there, who I heard was described this week as the likeable Mark Ritson. So that's a wrap on episode 101 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Martin podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Gordon and Robert for sharing their insight. Please follow them, say hello and check out all the links we discussed in the show notes, which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another Evan Marketing Podcast? Let me know. We are Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn or Twitter. And please drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app so other people can find us. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will kick off a new series discussing the fundamentals of marketing. I chat with Chris Lynch, CMO of MindTickle, and Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week, and I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.